0: Good afternoon. Good morning. This is Mark Johnson, CEO of Loyalty360. hope everyone is uh, happy, safe and well on this Friday afternoon. Uh, welcome back to another edition of Loyalty Live. Uh, in this series we talk to the leaders in customer channel and brand loyalty about the technology trends and best practices that are impacting the brand's ability to drive unique engagement and experiences. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Emil Sarkissian. I, just, I just, we just went through how to pronounce that and I messed it up so sorry about that. Uh, he's the <laughs> CEO no, fine. <laughs> of Loyalty Methods. Uh, Emil, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Mark. and you pronounce it just fine? Uh, don't right, worry about that, it. That's
0: good. That's good. Good that's to good. see you. Yeah. And and, and we did learn. Uh, we always like to talk about the one thing we learn on this. session. I already learned something that shares last share. and you uh, share the last uh, name? So that's good. <laughs> Armenian, and you cut it off. <laughs> You can, you can go just as a meal. That would be kind of <laughs> yeah, I might I might go with that, yes. It be a lot easier for a lot of people. Good <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, again, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, I know we've been talking a lot recently on a number of different fronts, uh, from technology and uh, looking at emotional loyalty. But uh, for those who don't, don't know you and don't know uh, kind of what you do, it would be great to get a little background on you and then learn uh, a little about your company as well.
1: Sure, yeah. I'll be happy to do that. Um, So my name is Emil Sarkissian and uh, I'm the CEO of Loyalty Methods. Um, And uh, Loyalty Methods is uh, a company that started back in 2007 uh, with the mission of creating large-scale customer experience and loyalty solutions. uh, And to, to do that safely, elegantly, uh, and, and make it work at scale basically. Uh, so that's the, the the basics of LM. We started uh, working uh, with the airlines first. So Alaska Airlines was technically our first customer uh, back in 2007. We took them live in 2008 and then we crossed industries. We went into travel and hospitality, cruise lines. Uh, we did, um, then we went into retail with Starbucks and some of the grocers uh, Century Twenty One department stores, um, and uh, you know, re- more recently with Seven Eleven. So we we basically are a cross industry player in the CX and loyalty space. And uh, in the last uh, three and a half four years, we also are now um, implementing our own platform, Reactor CX, which is the, um, the flagship product for us as we go into these engagements.
0: Okay. Um, can you tell a little bit about you, about you uh, kind of your role, obviously uh, in the company, and, and maybe even right. a personal tidbit or two? We like to learn something uh, unique <laughs> about someone. We already learned the last name thing. There's something else. That
1: <laughs> yes. So yes, that that yeah. Um, so basically, my I'll just start with the professional part. Um, my uh, my role in loyalty methods has been shifting, you know, for the last decade or so. Obviously, if we, I can with, with every entrepreneurial effort, and I'm one of the original founders. So. Um, we started off doing everything, and I think uh, in the initial phases, I was very interested in actually every project that we did, and I, I participated at the um, strategic and ideation level and sort of coaching executives through the changes that they need to happen. Um, I think later on, it sort of became, obviously, as we, as we started to scale and build our offshore base in India and all this other stuff that we do, um, I started to sort of pick uh, some of the most, um, you know, complex and, and challenging engagements to get personally involved at the strategic level and sort of guide the efforts a little bit and also learn from them i think that has been a tremendous uh, opportunity for me um, so so essentially i'm managing the business but also taking part in some of the largest and most interesting implementations so that that helps me actually guide the business better on a personal side uh, other than the fact that uh, sherry and i have the same last name <laughs> um uh, i um, I like to play jazz so i 'm a big uh, uh piano kind of enthusiast uh, hobbyist so uh, i 'm interested in blues and uh, that's that 's one of my hobbies that i 'm really into has been with me ever since I was a kid uh, so i got I got hooked because my dad uh, was a big jazz fan' he 's still a big jazz fan and so yeah so that 's kind of
0: like a little tidbit there um, oh yeah <laughs> we love to understand uh the perspective of customer loyalty uh from you know all different perspectives obviously uh, mm-hmm. you're one of the leading suppliers now uh very robust technology looking forward to kind of seeing how you come out in our in our first uh, industry report but uh you know everyone raves about your technology and platform can you talk you. a little bit about some of the biggest challenges or even potential opportunities you see uh around customer loyalty today what well, what are those
1: absolutely um and, and, and i think um, I love, first of all, I love that your organization is driving this discussion because I think it needs to be brought out um, into the into our clients, um, you know, sort of top of mind priorities a little bit more. Uh, so here's the here's the challenges that I see. And I, I think um, they fall into a couple of categories. One of them is, um, you know, with any, any loyalty program, actually, in my opinion, has uh, what I call the basics. You've got to cover the basics. In other words, get the channel delivery, get the technology hooked up well, get everything to be smooth. But then at the same time, once you get that going, then the second level is you know, to use the data that's been generated in a creative way that actually drives the real uh, benefits of, of that program. So uh, in, the, in the first layer, in the basics, I think the key things that we're um, you know, seeing as a demand from clients and as something that we're um, good at and getting done is to enable speed. And speed and real-timeness. So basically, and that comes in two dimensions. Speed for the end consumer, people that are using the, tech, the, you know, the, the retail consumers out there that are holding an app and want things to happen quickly. And at the same time, speed for marketers inside of the organization. They want to roll out initiatives very, very fast. They want to react to market conditions almost in real time as an organization, which for large organizations is a real challenge. And so that's, that's at the level of basics, right, how to handle the basics. Once we go into, once those basics are taken care of, I think the next uh, set of problems are how to drive experiences by mining data and understanding your data, basically. So that's, that's those are the, the priorities. I'm sorry, it's kind of an involved answer, but it it's, depends on what stage they're in. Are they still trying to deal with the basics or are they trying to get, after the basics, trying to get to a more advanced usage of data and to drive the
0: experience? Okay. Uh, can you talk about maybe a brand or a few? Uh, it could be a client; it could be uh, not a client. You know that mm-hmm. uh, you think are doing an exceptional job of creating customer loyalty now, and why? Right.
1: Um, okay. So um, I would talk about, I guess, um, for for uh, for these these kinds of um, experiences that done well are done well by people. Starbucks is, comes to comes to mind, and we've worked with them since uh, two thousand and nine, I think. Um, and so their My Starbucks Rewards program has actually, in my opinion, done a lot of things right and actually became, and rightfully so, became very well known in the industry as one of the uh, best programs. The things that that they really did right uh, from a program design standpoint uh, was that they were able to, first of all, provide good value in, in terms of like, redemption value. Uh, so customers really felt that they were getting something back uh, from Starbucks. Uh, the second thing that um, uh, really drives uh, Starbucks's, um, I think, appeal is, is consistency of product and service. People know how to expect uh, what to expect from Starbucks, and it's always there, delivered in the same way, the same fashion. And I think that's not even loyalty; that's just the basics of the product and the quality of the product and the consistency of the product uh, creates that that base layer of loyalty that does not even require a loyalty program. It's 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 in the in the actual um, thing that they do. Uh, but again, the, the key thing that they got right, I think, is understanding the, the digital side of it. And, and one last thing about Starbucks that I think was early on one of the big drivers of the, the growth of the program is that they combined a payment method with loyalty self-identification of people. So basically, you would scan a stored value card, you know, and that would immediately both do two things. Pay for your purchase and also identify you to the loyalty program. A lot of other experiences I've seen is where people have to first scan their, you know, scan their app and then they have to separately pull out a credit card or, or you know, maybe do Apple Pay nowadays, it's a little easier. But basically it's a separate, the payment is separate from the loyalty identification part. And I think Starbucks got that so right at the first, the first go they had at it that it just, the program just grew so fast because of that and also increased the number of stored value cards that were loaded with money, which of course is great for Starbucks. Uh, so again a great um, great combination of technology and and sort of acumen of how to combine things in a way that makes it frictionless at the store for a retail channel yeah uh, i don't want to take too much time but i think in the other things that we, uh, brands we're not working with that i think are interesting from a uh, and we'll talk about it later in this conversation probably again but i always think about amazon and netflix about two brands two brands that have engendered enormous amounts of loyalty and in, you know, because um, you look at Amazon, it's not even, doesn't even have a point program per se. You know, it's, it's, it's as it, you know, it, and, and it's, it's interesting because I think they have so much data at their hands because it's entirely digital that they're able to do everything to make the, the experience good, you know, with the data they already have. So, and the same is true about Netflix. They're able to design and, and fund new uh, experiences um, by simply understanding what people like in their current experience set, and just navigating that. So they don't even require the mechanics of a retail type loyalty program that are linking the physical world to the digital world. So I think that's very interesting. So those are the three brands I really admire.
0: So. Okay. And uh, the next question I would like to ask are: What are a couple of brands that you're loyal to, and why? Are are, are these a part of the brands that uh, a couple of the brands that you're loyal to? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's funny because I was just looking at, so first of all, Starbucks for me is a,
1: is a, is a must have, you know, I, I have been hooked on coffee forever and I, I think you don't even need a loyalty program for that, but, but it's great to have it. Um, the, the other thing that my wife and I often joke about is that the recent increase of Jeff Bezos's uh, fortune is probably due to our, purchases <laughs> because every day there's something in front of our house that's from Amazon. So uh, I think everybody in, in this uh, crisis now that we're in uh, feels the same way. Uh, so, uh, so I'm I'm actually pretty loyal to both of them. Starbucks for the reasons I already mentioned. Amazon, uh, for me, actually represents uh, first of all the speed, speed of delivery, and they've invested billions upon billions. In fact, I was looking at their latest uh, couple of Q ones that they did, um, that they um, uh, basically quarterly reports that is saying that they're investing billions of dollars to shave off a day in delivery times or something like that, right? So. So they essentially um, really, really, I mean, it's amazing to me that I could order something one day and it can come the next day or even that afternoon sometimes if I order it in the morning. uh, It's pretty crazy. So um, again, those are the brands that I'm uh, loyal to. Um, But uh, outside of that, I think a lot of times for me, it's it's product that drives it. Like I, I, for example, I don't wear anything other than AG jeans, for example, which is I just love them, and once I started wearing them, I, I'm never going to wear denim jeans again. They're just so comfortable and so good, you know, the way they design. So, <laughs> so what, what kind of jeans uh, you wear? A um, A G, like this, okay. that's how they're known. I think uh, forget what the yeah the that stands for, but it it they I mean I, I usually get them from Nordstrom though. I don't get them directly from the brand, but uh, um, you know, they, as I said, that's just the product quality
0: and and just an amazing product basically
1: so
0: that's awesome. yeah okay. yeah that's great uh, when you look at covid and some of the challenges that uh, that are out there you know what have you seen uh your clients uh, asking you for what are some of the challenges they're having and you know how have you helped them through some of those transitions and pivots?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: yeah so this is actually um something that has uh,
1: been obviously very um front of mind uh, for us. And so what? a lot of our businesses with uh, Southwest Airlines, with Alaska Airlines, um, so of course we we saw a tremendous drop in revenue. So that was a huge um, problem for them. And so, um, you know, not, I mean, some of the other ones also, uh, like 7-Eleven that we worked with also saw a drop, but it wasn't anywhere near as bad as the airlines where it just one day just went from. Uh, you know normal to minus minus eighty percent you know <laughs> of the of the um, flights were sort of not getting booked at all so um, for for Southwest airlines we are basically um, basically helped by simply because we do a lot of work for them in both the loyalty and non loyalty side, so optimizing the team for loyalty and and basically they just had to make some cost reductions, so we tried to help and be creative about how to help them with that, how to move things offshore when we can. Uh, provide additional services where we already have the staff and we can just, you know, extend a little bit of help because they were just looking for any possibility to make things work and, and I can't totally understand that. It's it's really crazy uh, how how hard that's hit them. Um, on the 7-Eleven side, um, you know, even though they're not hit as hard, we did help them pivot a little bit by um, helping. One of the things they did is they froze um, the the breakage, the point expirations for some time, and we've been extending that. Um, it wasn't the feature that we had planned to have in our platform, but we actually implemented it really quickly for them because we wanted to make sure that, um, you know, they're able to uh, help their customers who are not able to go to the store, you know, when there was a lockdown and so on. Um, so that's kind of like the kinds of things we're doing to to help brands. Uh, and just the most important thing is to, to be flexible and, and and to understand that every agreement we made and all the plans that we had at the beginning of the year, you know, <laughs> Uh, we have to be flexible about that. Essentially, that's that's really the bottom line, and and we're quite open to doing that because we think uh, this is more than just a transactional thing for us. We're we're in partnership with these brands, so
0: that's we awesome. Want to help. Yeah. Can you name a brand or two? I uh, kind of talked about a little bit that uh, had successfully reinvented themselves or you know repositioned themselves. We've heard a lot about that. Whether it's you know going completely digital or using you know, we've heard from uh, kind of a number of shoe companies where they had mm-hmm. the retail locations for distribution. Give um, me name okay. a couple that you think done a good job of repositioning or uh, you know just re-embedding themselves during during this time. Right. Um, so I think <laughs> um, to be frank with you, I, I
1: think again I'll come back to the brands that I, I frequently visit, but uh, there are there are quite a few examples of this, and so. Uh, let me just mention the, the things that I'm seeing that really makes me uh, kind of wonder about how people are thinking about this. So I think that the, the, the main drives, first of all, for everyone is to um, essentially earn trust and respect in this time by not being like a fair-weather friend, as I say. You know? So in other words, um, you know, uh, this is an opportunity for brands to, to really um, create an additional um, sort of emotional bond with customers. So I think that's one of the things that, by basically being caring and by basically understanding the situation and not being, um, you know, by, by putting their interest and also worries a little bit aside and trying to help their customers as well. So uh, some of the ones that I, I've seen that are really um, good, and I, unfortunately I forgot the name of the brands, but I was looking at some of the brands out in, a lot of the restaurants essentially has been hit the hardest. And so there's a couple downtown here in Edmonds, where I live in, in Washington that have done the same thing. Uh, and some have done it, better and some worse, but meal kits has been a big drive i think and people have converted from restaurants to meal kits pretty much overnight and some are doing um, an exceptional job i was just actually gonna uh, mention a couple that are in europe that are really uh kind of creating a really interesting um what they're what they're doing is not just um Sending out meal kits, but they're also doing a lot of online push and presents, and they're doing a lot of things like like one of them is uh, the company called uh, Foodmaker out in um, in Belgium, and so these guys actually not only did the meal kits they they just make um, um a, a lot of convenient ways to order this, for example, are you a family are you, uh, are you a single person you know is this a part you know sort of a barbecue? what is this you know and so they they basically have that you can just choose very easily what that is. The other thing they did well is they were very transparent about how they how clean their business is. Even though people are getting these things in the mail, they want to make sure that, um, so they have Facebook videos about their back end operations, um, about how things are being done. You know? And so I think that is um, a really a good way to respond to this because you're basically addressing people's uh, fears and concerns. You're also addressing um, people's uh, needs right? in, a, in a different way. So, it, and, and at the same time, they're kind of fun and sort of light about it. And it's kind of good to have that feeling in this crisis because everything looks pretty dire, right? And so um, it's good to have a brand that sort of does all the things that it's supposed to do, but, but in a way that's kind of, you know, lighthearted and, and fun. So that's, that's one example of these. But again, these restaurant uh, ideas actually are all over the place. It's not just them. Um, I would say that Starbucks did a pretty great job of um, uh, adjusting to, uh, you know, so um, if you think about um, uh, what they have done, I mean, they, they, they pretty much took the furniture out really quickly. Uh, they, they were fast in the way they adapted. You know, they put these markers for where to wait and you know, people were able to actually visit the store once you know, that was okay. So in a safe and sort of convenient, still convenient way, I mean, it wasn't the same as the previous experience, but they did a great job of, of turning that around you know, making the drive-throughs effective. Uh, even even when I go to the drive-through, the way they hand me a cup is like they have another cup that's around my cup and they just sort of hand that mug over to me and I, I don't even touch, you know, it's it's really interesting how much they thought about all the experiences. Uh, so that's, that's awesome. really
0: cool. Yeah. Is there, uh, yeah. is, is, when you talk about some of the things that you're seeing right now from cleanliness, how they're uh, looking mm-hmm. at things from an empathy perspective, but also mm-hmm. balancing the need to, to drive revenue and drive engagement. Mm-hmm. You know, are there a couple pieces of advice that you would share with brands, you know, looking to improve their customer loyalty, or customer experience? Uh, yeah,
1: I think, I think one of the big things, and I've, I've mentioned this before in our conversations, um, the one piece of advice that I always have for brands is, is, is that, you know, they need to learn to learn in a validated way, is what I say. And what this means is actually that um, they need to build systems that help them learn uh, from their customers. And, and especially in times like this, when things are changing dramatically, um, having the touch points be well connected and delivering the data that you need will help you make the right decisions about what's really on customers' minds right now and how they're responding today. Because yesterday was a completely different day. So I think it's interesting because this see change that happen in attitudes, in and, and people's uh, perceptions of things, I think is a key example of how validated learning can quickly adapt to this by, by simply, you know, looking at the data that's been generated by channels that are well-connected together and delivering this data to a central spot that you can make decisions from. So I think that's kind of like, again, my, my advice is learn to learn in, in, a, in a validated way that the, is validated by the data you're getting, that the real stuff that's happening in your, in your business.
0: I think. There's a lot of challenge right now with data, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Google's uh, controlling cookies, and in 2022, CDPA, mm-hmm. GDPR, CCPA, other states are looking at privacy, yes. uh, integration of different technology stacks. So, uh, you know, even a push for uh, zero-party or, or declared data, mm-hmm. interaction. Right? Uh, really. really. You know, how do we create some simplicity around data, right? There's so much um, data out there. Uh, it's growing exponentially, but you know when you look at some of the things you do from a simplicity perspective, it, it, it's really creating more simple approaches to having the data, making it actionable. Are there things that you're seeing in in that uh, regard that can help uh, marketers with regard to kind of their offerings?
1: Right. Um, yeah. So, so the, the, this, the fortunate thing here is that there is just an explosion of data, right? So why is there an explosion of data? I think it's because we're essentially transferring more and more of the physical world into an online world. And so essentially, and in fact, COVID has accelerated that that, that trend, you know, like it's moving 10 times faster. You know, we're crunching a lot of digital transformation into like very uh, little time. So I don't think, I think basically there, there's, um, there's a difference between simplicity of how we think about data and the actual data itself, right? The actual data is always going to be complex and uh, involved because we, we're, we're not reducing or, or like, bearing down the number of things, that the touch points we're measuring, we're actually increasing them. People now have mobile devices, all this other stuff. So more data is going to come to us. So I think what we really need in the marketer's mindset is a framework of how to classify the main types of data that we're receiving and then how to use that, um, how, to prov- uh, how to think about that data in a simple way. But we can't simplify the data, but we can simplify the way we think about it. And so, so I think to that effect, what we do is we essentially try to, um, you know, build the, the data models that are relevant to a business. Because unfortunately, you can't just take the same data from channels and, and apply it to every business in the same way. You have to actually find out, okay, what are the key things that, that this, con- this particular business really wants to monitor? Yes, of course, there are frameworks that give us that, like measurement and so on. But uh, again, the, 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 there's no simple answer to this thing. Like, we cannot really simplify it too much. Uh, we can organize it and, and, and build frameworks uh, that are designed to help think about the data streams that are coming at us in, right. in more constructive ways. And so that's kind of what we do, is, is go in and figure out what is, the, what is the best way to think about your data that would, would, would help us build, um, make the right decisions, obviously. So...
0: Um, Okay. That's interesting. And one of the things, uh, kind of uh, unscripted here, but you you and I had a conversation yesterday about emotional loyalty, and I think uh, we're working on our first industry paper in that regard, and you had some Uh very unique insight, I thought, uh, kind of how you tied it back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just not for to do emotional loyalty, you really need to look at just kind of the the blocking and taxing, right? Having a great product, a great execution. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe just give a little bit overview and kind of your perspective on emotional logic? I thought it was very insightful, very impactful, and just, you know, very concise, too. All
1: right, uh, sure. I, and again, I've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, so so I, Maslow, you know, came up with this. Uh, he was sort of doing some psychological research and in, in, in back in the 40s um, came up with a pyramid that said what what really, how are people, what, what drives people? And, and so he built a pyramid saying that at the base of this pyramid, so you, you have... Uh, the need for safety, food, shelter—you know, the very basics of of existing, basically—and that's what humans are concerned at that level. Once you have that solved, then there's there's the need for uh, for belonging, for for you know group dynamic, and that's sort of something that um, more societal kind of needs, and that comes after the basics. And then finally, there's the need for for self actualization, for realization of one's goals and and what they're really about, and self identification. So those are the three sort of layers that Maslow identified that, hey, you can't really be thinking high abstract thoughts about who you are and what your goals are if you don't have right. anything to eat. And so the same applies to loyalty. And what my thoughts were that, hey, you can't think about using data in some sort of uh, AI or machine learning way if you don't have the data because your channels are not integrated. So if you look at, at loyalty, it starts at the bottom with the basics, the functional basics. Does your ch- are all your channels connected well? Do they deliver a consistent experience? Are you able? Are your customers getting your cashbacks and your points, you know, quickly and smoothly? And there's no issues, you know. Is your call center receiving a ton of traffic because it's not working? That kind of stuff. Once you solve the basics of the mechanics of execution, that immediately enables the next level of hey, how do I make sure now that that people are you you apply personalization so they start to feel like they belong in a club with the rest of the you know members with that brand. And then finally, when you go to like really top level is, okay, how do I start predicting and understanding what people really trying to, do? how do they express themselves through the brand? How do they, how do I make them advocates? How do I make their, um, um, as I said, their, how do I basically meet their self-actualization desires and goals that they have? And I think, again, that's just progressive use of data collection and then use of data. And so it's interesting how it mirrors uh, this, this hierarchy of needs, because the people's shopping and, and sort of interaction needs with the brand, you know, kind of in a similar way, they, they, they seem to mirror, uh, it's a pyramid of things that you have to get right until you get to the top where you're actually doing really, you have brand advocates and, and people who are really helping you along That's the awesome. way, so. Yeah.
0: yeah, and the last question we have is uh, actually, uh, you know, what's next for customer loyalty? What What do you think is next with all the disruption we yeah. had with with COVID and technology changes and just uh, behavioral changes? You know, what do you think is next <coughs> for customer loyalty? Um, yeah,
1: so that's that's actually on everyone's mind. I think, especially in the loyalty space, because it's suddenly become more relevant. I think um, because people are trying to keep their customers. I I would say that. Um, I, I yeah you know, I'm trying to project this forward in my mind, and I often think that what's really happening here is that um, more and more the physical world will get digitized in some ways, right? If you and again, I think that the future of loyalty is where we have we have we're able to produce so much data, you know, and so we're able to track so many things that become digital that. Um, you know, imagine what happened when phones came in people's hands, right? Smartphones, you know, this sudden explosion of data. I think there's going to be a couple more of these explosions of data driven by, you know, personalized technology that's on people's know, bodies and around them in buildings and, you know, and, you know, I've heard all kinds of things of smart paint and, you know, on the walls and all those things, you know, so you can have all these interesting things generating data. So I think in the future, if you extrapolate it forward, everyone even the retail spaces that are very physical in their nature will actually become more and more like Amazon and Netflix. They would have more and more data at their disposal that does not require the mechanics of loyalty. In fact, I foresee a time when, when maybe in a couple of years, maybe, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think there'll be a time when the idea of scanning a phone would look so archaic. It would look as bad as you know, getting your credit card you know, in one of those paper you know, things that you, you, know, you swipe it back and forth and you know, take a carbon copy. That's what it's going to be like because you know, to me loyalty is just a way to to get the data, you know, right now, the mechanics, that base of the pyramid, that's just ways to get data. Once you have that data, you have a lot of power to create the right experience without having to encumber people, make it cumbersome um, for people to sort of pull out cards and do things and so on and so forth. So I think there's some of that I see in the future for loyalty is that it will become more and more about data, more and more about AI and using predictive modeling to, um, to, to help uh, drive people's experiences and sort of and, and anticipate what, what they're going to be wanting. So that's that's where I see the future of it right now.
0: That's awesome. Well, as always, uh, it's great talking to you. Uh, it was great, uh, you know, getting uh, some of these questions answered. I think uh, you had a, you know, a very powerful approach. And one thing uh, I say this uh, periodically, the passion you have for the industry, for your company, for your clients uh, comes through and it's always great to hear that. So uh, Emil, I definitely appreciate the time you're taking to talk to us today. So hopefully this was helpful for you as well.
1: Yeah, it was fantastic. Thanks, Mark. Always a great time um, talking to you guys um, and uh, yeah, I look forward to some more conversations and discussions. Thank you.
0: All right. Perfect. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks. Yeah.